Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. A lot of newness in the air today for me. Oh yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna regale our listener <laughs> with all of the changes you've made? Well, I'm getting a haircut later today, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, but I also have a new chair. I I I did a deal with the devil and I got a gamer chair. I'm yeah. sitting in it now. What kind you of gamer chair did you get? It's a cookies and cream. This sounds like an ad. <laughs> Let's just roll into it. It's made of Oreos. Yeah. <laughs> My gamer chair is a cookies and cream made of Oreos luxury seat. I can record in it. I can sit in it. I can dream in it. I'm in it. Gamer chair. Gamer chair. It's a secret lab chair. Uh, and mm. what I like about it is that it's pretty neutral. You wouldn't see it and immediately think gamer. Gamer chair. Unless yeah. you know the manufacturer. Yeah. But it's, it's I, I really, really needed it because like I was looking at like, you know, I had like a pretty standard office chair and just by use of recording the show and, and drawing on my tablet at my desk, like it just hurt my back. It just was not good. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to get like a, a fancier chair. And I know the chair I need is probably like $1,200 to get that like added comfort. So yeah. this was a nice middle ground. It was like a little over 500. And I'm like, this is, this is, will be a step up. Of all the things you can invest money in, I think uh, the chair that you spend, I would say 80% of your time in is probably <laughs> one of the things to do that, that and mattresses, I feel like are very important investments. Yeah, I did. I did get hypnotized into getting a Casper mattress uh, just <laughs> via living in an era of podcasts. But it, honestly, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I also got a new mic. This is a, a, a big upgrade for me. I've been using my Blue Yeti since the dawn of 2018. Love yeah. it. We'll still use it probably. I mean, it's it's great. It's done well for the show. Yeah. But I, I have upgraded uh, to what you're listening to right now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both have the same mic now, which is fun and exciting. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm very happy for you and all of your changes. Thank you. Yeah. It's the spring is here. Got to embrace airy season, you know. Yeah. Spring cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. That said, another big new change, not even a change really, but we finally released our, our 3DS bonus episode on our yeah. Patreon, which was a big undertaking. Yeah. In some ways, that almost feels like the mission of our entire show. It feels like a lot of interests <laughs> kind of intertwined. Like we've always been big 3DS fans. I feel like it isn't, I think it is an underrated system overall, like even in its Weirdly, like prime yeah. era, mm-hmm. because I think it was always sort of eclipsed by the DS in name and design and then the switch came out. So like, yeah, there were really only like, and you know, we went through year by year and you can tell when like there were those like two years, the 3DS like had a spotlight. Yeah. So 2013 was like the year. It really was as well. Yeah. But it's an incredible system and you know, it's, it's sad that the 3DS is ending, but you know, there are plenty of ways to, uh, to still enjoy that library. So that is available for all patrons. It's also the last, episode that's on the dollar tier so it's like the swan song of the dollar tier yeah episodes for for patrons if you're an amuse bouche level backer yeah. <laughs> i feel like every every place that has a patreon has like weird names for all their tiers and our, our one dollar tier is called the amuse bouche which means that you get all of the patreon episodes that we've released up through the 3ds episode exactly uh, which is yeah. like i don't know like 10 to 15 episodes uh some of them are a little bit timely some of them are a little more uh evergreen like there's one about how we make the show there's there's the 3ds one obviously there's like a delta rune episode a lot of it's like um a lot of spoiler discussions of games maybe we already talked about the other big bonus there is uh persona 3 4 and 5 yeah 
with uh, our friends Alana and Callie. That was actually just the three of us. I imagine you and I will do Persona stuff in the future. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I just really wanted to do those three games with, with those two people. So totally. that, that is there as well. Yeah. I still haven't heard it because I don't want to spoil myself, but I, I've heard that it's good. Uh, it, it was really yeah. fun to make. Uh, I also did the art for it. So that was like a really fun project. So a lot of good stuff there. And that will be there forever for the dollar tier and going forward uh the episodes will be for the five dollar tier as well as the air table we already have some plans for that so stay tuned uh we will let you know what's on the horizon for the patreon yeah we have some cool stuff coming for the patreon so yeah a heads up that that's available there but that's at patreon.com slash into the cast if you want to listen to that very happy with how the 3ds episode came out that was really fun i think i think the big thing and and uh kudos to you for cutting our list down from like 60 something games to like (laughs) 30 ish which i actually think is much more manageable if the the aim of the episode is like yeah nintendo's going to shut down the eShop on march 27th here are like the 30 ish games that we would recommend that are like must plays if you want an idea of what the 3ds is all about because as soon as you start going out into like 50 and 60 games that's when you're getting the stuff that's like i can't recommend this to anybody but (laughs) x yeah, I, I think it's maybe the only time I've advocated for brevity in, in our show's history. And it's still but, like uh, a, an over five hour long episode. It's long. So. Yeah. I mean, but I think for we, <laughs> we've decided that the format for system episodes, like we'll do a similar thing for the Dreamcast season premiere that that will be for everybody that's going to come out like this summer when we, when we begin our next season. But for system episodes, when we do those kind of retrospectives, I think having sort of a pool of like a, a couple dozen games is better yeah. just for the discussion because i think when you limit it to 10 it's a little bit harder to really like like celebrate the system properly yeah whereas totally. i think for game of the year 10 games is a little it's it's more theatrical in the way that we want it to be yeah it's it's helpful uh, yeah in some also ways. less games that come out in a year versus a entire system <laughs> <laughs> uh although so. in the case of the dreamcast it pretty much is a year right that's true yeah i think <laughs> It is kind of funny, like, you know, our preparation for Game Boy Advance, I think we each played like 70-ish games. Um, And for DS, we went like all in. I think we are DS experts at this point. (laughs) I know I'm going to immediately be challenged by someone on Twitter or in the Discord after saying that. But at least I think we're, we're like pretty fluent on the ds's legacy but we we each play like 120 games for that one yeah something like that 3ds was closer to like 40 to 60 i think yeah and the entire like dreamcast exclusive library is like is about 60 60 games games. yeah yeah Yeah. so we won't have as much work to do there yeah that's gonna be very interesting though i'm really excited to me too to finally learn what the dreamcast is like it feels in the air too i feel like uh you know hi-fi rush coming out everyone said this has like big dreamcast gamecube energy man i don't know what it is are are we actually progenitors of trends or (laughs) are we being influenced also by some cosmic zeitgeist that we don't know about because between like the dreamcast stuff that's happening but also we like on a complete lark decided that Super Mario All-Stars was going to be our bonus for this month. And now I feel like I'm just seeing Mario content everywhere, like even outside of the movie. But maybe it is because maybe maybe the movie is really bringing people back into the fold in a way. But like, I just feel like I'm seeing so much discussion about like Mario. Th- like, uh, what's that? That, that speedrun channel on YouTube, Summoning Salt, that does those like documentary features on like the, the history of speedruns for specific games just released a Super Mario Brothers 3 video today, oh, like cool. this morning. Yeah. 
at the time of this recording. It's so weird. It's so weird how that continues to happen. Yeah, I think we have a shared unconscious across the board, or collective subconscious, I should say. Like humankind? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's I think nice. there's, there, there's something about that that I think maybe we're just like, I don't think we're ac- we actually have powers here, but it is it is creepy sometimes the big the biggest like usually there's like bubblings of a trend and maybe we don't make the connection until after the fact the most fucked up thing we've done was portal 2 the portal one yeah the portal one always gets me (laughs) that was like this is actually like forbidden magic that that we are wielding because like before and after that there was no like portal hype it was just that one like week that we just said portal out loud and then it came to be (laughs) we like matilda portal to switch yeah it's really it's really bizarre and and i guess in the case of mario mario is in the in the sphere at the moment because of the march 10th baby yeah mario day just happened yeah um i i saw uh to promote the movie they they rolled up the actual super mario brothers plumbing van to the nintendo store and unveiled mario's iconic boots that they recreated in real life which like of of everything that mario wears his boots are the thing i've thought about the least yeah i feel like the cap is probably what uh, even the overalls even the gloves yeah everything is more like the the boots were the least you know thought of it's the least interesting thing about mario is what yeah. what, what his footwear is because I, <laughs> I i always think and i feel like this is the constant goof but when when watchdogs first came out and they released if you got you know one of the 14 billion uh deluxe editions that existed um you could get a replica of quote unquote aiden pierce's iconic hat uh <laughs> which was like they labeled it that before the game had even come out and people didn't know who Aiden Pierce was. And it turns out that his iconic hat is just a black hat with the watchdogs logo on it. It's like, okay. Uh, And I feel like that's kind of what Nintendo seems to be trying to replicate in a weird way with Mario's iconic boots. It's like, okay. It's a little bit like giving you like Lynx gloves. It's like, I I don't really know what these look like off the top of my head. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't. Does he, is he wear gloves? I don't know. Look it up. That's the thing. If yeah. you had asked me, does Mario wear boots or shoes? I don't think I would have known the answer. Off the top of my head, I feel like Ocarina Link has like those cool fingerless gloves, but that might just for be... For like knocking arrows. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I think that might just be what I want him to have. Yeah. I did so. get tickets to see the Mario movie on opening night. Guy, can you post it? 10 p.m. screening. That feels uh, similar to when we saw Cats on Christmas Day. That's kind of what I was going for a yeah. little bit. was like, <laughs> here's this kid's movie. I'm going to see the latest screening I can at a movie theater that serves alcohol. <laughs> I, I think it'll be fun. I feel like uh, I'm going to have a great time. I know. Yeah. I know you're a little bit on the back foot about it. I'm like all in. I think it's going to be a huge, huge phenomenon. I think the animation looks great for me. It's like I think the initial announcement, everyone thought cats. Yeah, like this is. Oh, this yeah. is leading up to a cats type experience where it's like. Not even so bad. It's good. It's just like, how did this come to be? Right. This is sort of like the accidental alchemy of three executive decisions that led to chaos. Yes. You know, Um, but it just looks like it's going to be like a fun kids movie. And for me, that's less interesting. (laughs) Like, I think it just being like a pretty solid, like Lego movie-esque experience. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. That's not for me. Like, I'm not the target audience there, even though I love Mario. Like, I don't really, I I think if, if like you asked me like what I want from a Mario movie, the answer is I don't really want one. But I think like the, if you were to, 
be forced to make a narrative experience mm-hmm. i would love like a feature about the paper mario world in some capacity but i think it will be totally enjoyable i think it's going to be a good time yeah i love i love jack black as bowser some of the casting in that movie is pretty inspired he's doing a great job just yeah. based on the trailers and the clips i won't i won't say what happens in the trailers because i know some people are very very iffy about about spoilers and trailers and things like that so i'll just say he sounds great in that and also charlie yeah. day is luigi i'm like all in on incredible yeah so I, I think i think i i'm sure i would enjoy it if i saw it. i'm just like not in a i'm not gonna like not see it i'm just not in a rush to see it is yeah where i'm at yeah. yeah uh but me on the other hand me? i'll be there 10 p.m 10 p.m sharp 10 p.m with an old-fashioned where i aiden pierce's iconic hat <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna oceans 11 those boots out of the <laughs> nintendo world store and wear Aiden Pierce's iconic hat while doing so. Well, speaking of Mario, I think we wanted to open this episode with uh, a Mario Kart update. Mm, yeah, we both uh, we both streamed together the other day, which we realized was the first time we'd streamed together since Monster Hunter Rise came out. Yeah, um, it's been a while. It, it's been a long time. But we, uh, we, we streamed the new tracks that they added to the game via the Booster Course Wave 4 DLC, which really unwieldy name, the more I have to say it out loud. But uh, yeah. It's it's the fourth, hence the name, the fourth time they've released a bunch of tracks into Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. This set includes a bunch of new stuff, a bunch of Mario Kart Tour stuff, a bunch of old stuff. But most importantly, Birdo. Birdo's in the game. And you can choose what color Birdo you're playing as. I chose orange Birdo, which I didn't realize. Because I feel like Yoshi, there's like an established island of Yoshi's. Right. There's not kind of like Toad, like Yoshi is not alone in being Yoshi. I always thought Birdo was one of a kind. Yeah, this does imply a Birdo's island. (laughs) Which, (laughs) if we can manifest that, we need to stop doing this show. (laughs) If we bring about Birdo's island, which I would love to see. If Nintendo does their E3 Direct and announces Birdo's island, I I think we both quit the show. And and we open up uh, like a like a psychic tarot reading yes. shop on Route 17, which I would love. I, I actually just was gifted a David Bowie Starman tarot deck, and it's awesome. OK, uh, so I'm already preparing for the worst case scenario. Yeah, you're getting um, there. But uh, yeah, you can choose which Birdo you want to be, which honestly fits perfectly with the year of Birdo. It's a collective mm. manifestation of of your goals and dreams. Birdo can be anyone. Yeah, I I was orange Birdo. I think you were purple. Yeah, yeah, like the closest to purple I could get. Um, and in addition to Birdo, there's also like five question mark characters. <laughs> so he, let me let me let me completely say, unannounced. Also, yes, completely like people unannounced. just people just figured that out when the DLC came out and they downloaded it and opened up Mario Kart it was like. Like, what are these five question marks? I feel like it has to be said that this whole plan, the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe came out in what, 2017? It was a launch, it was title, a launch title for the yeah. Switch. And the original Mario Kart 8 was a 2013 game for yeah, the Wii U. That sounds correct, yeah. 2013, 2014. So the game has existed for nine years. <laughs> and it is a little weird that we are now in year nine, the year of Birdo, getting new content mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden as part of the uh, Nintendo Online expansion pack. I think there's a lot to criticize there. Like, I, I honestly do think at this point there's a lot of really great stuff to get 
from Nintendo Online. Yeah. But we talk about a lot how like the the it's great that there's now like the Game Boy Advance and the Game Boy like that. I'm glad. I'm really happy that they're updating those things. I'm so happy to see people talking about playing Minish Cat for the first time. And now you can play every Metroid game that's out or, or most of them at least yeah. on the Switch. It's amazing. Like these are things that we've been asking for. It's amazing to see the follow through. But it is still a little discouraging that it's all tied to a premium subscription. Mm. You know, it's still kind of treated like a novelty and not a given. Yeah. So just want to like criticize that, you know, because I think what we're about to do is say how fucking awesome <laughs> all this stuff is. <laughs> the thing about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, it's a, it's a decade old game in some ways. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe essentially yeah. was just Mario Kart 8, all the DLC in one place on the Switch. Right. I think if, if there is one game that you like legally had to port over from the Wii U to the Switch. It was Mario Kart 8. Mm -hmm. That was like, I think one of the only first party games that really like made people say, should I get a Wii U out loud? Yeah. Um, like in a mainstream way. Yeah. Right. So I'm really glad it's like there. It's an incredible game. It is still the best selling Switch game by like a pretty significant margin, mm -hmm. even still more than Animal Crossing New Horizons, which was like a, you know, cultural event yeah this game just continues to sell so i honestly understand nintendo being like well we could make a mario kart 9 and i'm sure they're going to like my my feeling is that this is sort of leading up to that announcement yeah to sort of like regenerate interest in mario kart even though there already has been because again best-selling game still yeah all these years later they're bundling it with the switch for a while and they actually as of last week just uh, unveiled a new bundle that you can get for the switch that's called uh the pick your i think it's the uh choose your own mario bundle is what they call it <laughs> which is like uh, it's a switch oled with the mario red joy cons and it comes with a code for one of like five different games and of course mario kart 8 is like one of the ones you can choose and i think mario kart 8 is like honestly just an incredible game it, i go back to it constantly i still have the best time with it i think it is the best mario kart and if we were doing a nintendo switch retrospective in the style of the 3ds and the ds and everything else that we've done in terms of games that make use of the hardware the best, I feel like Mario Kart 8 is one of those like tentpole. You're playing that game exactly like people did in the in the first unveiled commercial yeah. of the Switch where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you could bring your Switch to somebody's house, throw out the kickstand. Each person gets a Joy-Con and you're playing split screen Mario Kart like wherever you want to be. Uh, that feels miraculous every time I do it, which is not that yeah. frequently, but it's not not frequently. So I, I've been enjoying like they, so they've released, I think, four or five, maybe collections of four levels, and they've all been really great. And they've been a mix of like recreations of levels from like the older games of like the Super Nintendo and Game Boy Advance ones, which yeah. are really creative and then also just you know more straightforward recreations of, of levels from the more recent entries yeah each of uh, the think, waves gets one new track like that's made specifically for this dlc and then all the other ones are are, are like ports and recreations yeah i i've especially liked a lot of the mario kart tour levels which are all based on real cities yeah um it's really those cool. are really fun but the big one this time that was sort of marketed along with birdo's entrance in the year of birdo is yoshi's island the yoshi's island level yeah which is incredible it's miraculous yeah it really like we said this while we were streaming but it's like that is maybe worth it alone to get this yeah like i uh it's this like kind of montage and and collage of all it's not even just yoshi's island it's like yoshi's story stuff as well yeah which which game is that yoshi's island where the the title screen is like the 3d rotating island that's Yoshi's Island, yeah, on the yeah. Super Nintendo. Because yeah. it, fe it feels like they just took that little 3D rotating model and turned that into 
the track, which is very cool. Like even those mountains in the middle are like in the middle of the track. Yoshi's Island is one of my like formative games, like many people. And like when you go off that big jump and there's that like strange face in the ocean, like that big blue monster. Yeah. I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I love the, the way that that dude is revealed too. is like you go up a hill and then once you're at like the peak of the hill, you can see him chilling out in the water, which is it really was like a like a, a Marvel movie end credit scene for me was like seeing that dude hanging out in the background. I was like, I can't believe they put him in here. You know? I wonder if we could play as him eventually. <laughs> oh, one of the five. Yeah, we were also talking about like, yeah, one of the, who are the other characters? And like, I do, I mean, the thing is, the situation is that like, they don't really need to make a Mario Kart 9, like financially. Right. You know, like yeah. they, they can kind of just keep updating this game and, it's clearly working, but it does ask the question of like, what is next? Like, what is the, the yeah. plan going forward? And, and I think honestly, what I would like to see is like, I, I think, you know, it's clear that Mario Kart is moving towards a more uh, Smash Brothers type roster. Right. Um, I'm totally fine with that. I, I, I think having characters, some other, you know, so the Splatoon characters and, and, and Animal Crossing characters are already in the game. Link is in the game. Yeah. The writing's already on the wall there. But I would love, like, I think what I would like to see in a sequel, like, because I think Mario Kart 8 is, like, a hard act to follow. Like, what do you really do mm-hmm. after that? Because it's, it's kind of, like, the platonic ideal of Mario Kart. I would love, like, a, a richer single-player experience, sort of akin to Diddy Kong Racing, where there's, like, a little bit more of an adventure game yeah, along with the racing. I, I think that's, that. like, the clear next step, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm curious. There's been a lot of rumors about a Mario Kart 9 for a while. Um, leaks here and there that that I, I don't know how much you can ever trust Nintendo leaks, really. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, I would say indications seem to be that they are working on something that is called Mario Kart 9, at least. And that these these booster course waves are essentially just a way to keep up interest in mario kart 8 for the time being and keep it selling units which you know it definitely is but also the idea that like yes you should market your dlc to the game that has sold the most on your system makes a lot of sense to me i think financially Um, yeah and honestly there's a this i i know uh i'm like throwing a curse out in the wind by saying this but i (laughs) i could see a world in which mario kart 9 comes out and the booster course wave idea is built into it from launch where it's like sure. kind of like splatoon constantly getting updates like you can you, uh, almost turning mario kart into a live service in that way where it's like you know every month or two you're getting like another track or another character in that game for its entire life cycle i think there are ways of doing live service that aren't all just like kind of shitty destiny adjacent things you know that have like battle passes and stuff yeah i don't think nintendo will go like full battle pass with it ever or like yeah release a game that feels like half finished to update later but i do think you're onto something where i think that having continuous updates for it would make sense it is kind of funny to then think back to animal crossing new horizons and how the opposite happened there yeah. and to be clear that update was awesome yeah they added enough stuff to new horizons that I do think it feels more like New Leaf now where you can kind of play it more indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And weaving in Happy Home Designer was honestly the best addition. That that game alone is such a great experience. To have that as like another part of the game is really, really cool. Yeah. Before we move on from Mario Kart, do you have any any tracks that are standouts outside of Yoshi's Island? Uh, I really liked 
the as a DK summit, there's like a snowboarding. That's the one I was gonna yeah, bring to, uh, yeah, which is from the Wii. I like the levels that kind of tease other games in them. So like that whole level has like an SSX energy to it. Like there's yeah. like you can basically do tricks and like there's sort of a risk reward of like, do you wanna just go around the the deep snow or do you wanna like try to pull off a trick and land on the other side of it yeah yeah the, the whole the whole track is essentially half pipes down a snowy mountain uh, yeah so you can just like launch yourself off and because of the way the game works anytime you jump if you hit the jump button as soon as you're going off of a jump you get a little speed boost so they almost like incentivize going up the half pipe as much as you possibly can so you can keep hitting the the jump boost over and over again and every time you do that you do a little trick and as you said it looks like ssx but mario kart yeah i also like the singapore level a lot um yeah that, that one was just like gorgeous i think some of the city levels are a little busy sometimes i think they're like a little busy bit some of them are on the cusp of like i actually am having a hard time discerning where to go and what's happening because there's yeah. so much activity but the singapore level i think is like a really nice variety and the fact that it kind of changes where you're going in the city on each lap is really really cool yeah i've seen a little bit of uh a little bit of discourse about the the tour levels uh specifically the way they look like graphically which i kind of I understand where people are coming from, but I don't agree personally. But the the complaint that a lot of people levy is like they look very flat and textureless, which I kind of hmm. get. But one of the things I remember saying this while we were streaming even is like, I actually really love how kind of flat and geometric it is because it feels like an abstract take on the city that you're driving through. Yeah. Which like they don't all have the like hyper realistic textures that the rest of Mario Kart 8 has which I can understand being a little bit bummed out by, but I, I personally kind of like it. I think it, I think it adds to this level of abstraction away from the city that you're in. And you just kind of get like a broad brush idea of Singapore or a broad brush idea of, uh, of like New York or something. Yeah. It's been, it's not like new donk city where that was like a real city with real people mm -hmm. alongside Mario. It's all sort of the consistent visual language. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really feel that way, but you know, yeah. what the hell do I know? What do we know? about city design urban planning <laughs> i do think i again I'm, I'm obsessed with the ad for donkey kong the best musical yeah. in the new york level <laughs> i really am hoping for a new jersey track eventually but that also might just be toad's turnpike so <laughs> i think it is yeah i think it is canonically yeah turn what's also funny is whenever i visit home like my family always wants to play mario kart which is always fun and my mom is like pretty okay she doesn't you know she doesn't play a ton of games so like she has to relearn a lot of things, but she gets first on Toad's Turnpike every time. <laughs> and I just think there's something like if, you, if you've been in Jersey your whole life, you're just good at that level. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. The, yeah. the thing I always used to say to people whenever they ask me what it was like to uh, learn to drive in New Jersey is uh, it's as if you started with Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> And then everything yeah. else is like fine. It's like, oh, yeah, once once you've mastered that, once you've driven on a New Jersey highway in July, you can do literally anything. The way I've described, you know, I, I haven't driven in a long time because I've just, you know, been in the city. But like when I had a car in Jersey, it really is as if every day is that scene in a disaster movie where everyone has to get out of the city. <laughs> like there's like a last, there's one Including last Including the chance. people who are just stopped on the highway getting out of their cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every day is that. To, to Every, watch the destruction happen in the distance. A, a common occurrence, to give you some hard data here, a common occurrence, I think what's called the Jersey slide. Oh yeah. Is just with or without signaling. <laughs> 
just going through four lanes of traffic to get on or off the exit you need. Yeah. Going all the way from the left lane, the fast lane, all the way to the exit <laughs> on the right hand yeah. lane. So like crossing across all the lanes of traffic and, and it's literally a sliding motion. Yeah. It's, I it's honestly think like that is that is true about Jersey and the fact that most of the country, their experience of Jersey is the Sopranos, that level of driving and the tour you get on the turnpike. I get why we're we're not a beloved state. There's more to, <laughs> there's more to like. There's more to see about Jersey than just that. I promise you. That's right, listener. Mario Kart 8 Booster Course Wave 4 is available if you have the expansion pack to Nintendo Online, I think. Yeah, um, I think it's the expansion and pack. And I think you can buy it separately also. Like if you if yeah. you wanted to just get it, you could just get it and not uh, be back in the thing. But, you know, that also gets you all the other stuff. Not to be a fucking ad for the expansion pack, but no, but I, I think at this point there's enough there that yes. it's it's probably worth it. I think, yeah. you know, between getting Happy Home Designer and then all like the Game Boy Advance stuff and more games on N64, like all that is is pretty enticing. And if you can split your Nintendo online subscription with 10 other people and just add to your family plan. I would recommend doing that also because it just lowers the cost dramatically. It's a pretty low price as well. I I do think like when Nintendo online first came to be, it was very strange because it was like, these are all games that already had online (laughs) that I now have to pay $5 a year for or something. It's like, what is this? Um, But now it's, they've sweetened the deal a little bit, but again, I wish it wasn't like the only way to play a lot of their history. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, I think moving towards, an e-store model is is better overall just to have the ability to like, i want this game i'm gonna buy this one game right and have it rather than paying indefinitely for prehistoric man um <laughs> so <laughs> let's take a break let's, th- <laughs> let's think about the past yeah i have to go play prehistoric man for a little bit and then i'll come back <laughs> Only. take an edge take the edge off you know <laughs> there there's like a a episode that never was where it was when we were on vacation together oh, with a yeah. few of our friends <laughs> uh and we were like let's just check out all the like z list super nintendo games that were added here mm-hmm. without ceremony and to be clear prehistoric man is actually not one of the worst ones there are there are games in that collection that are significantly worse yeah we had an all right time with prehistoric man by comparison mostly because the game began you pushed a button and he went like ah he just, like, <laughs> just screamed like, at the top of his lungs. <laughs> they like loaded the crunchiest MP3 file into that SNES cartridge. I've never seen a game where like the primary button was that the character complained <laughs> the game was being played. Like just like, why are you playing? <laughs> Free this? me. Free me let, from let this. Let me live in my fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's take a break. <laughs> Life is hard enough as is. <laughs> yeah. There's a saber-toothed tiger out there. <laughs> Let me sleep. Don't make me go outside. It's too carboniferous out here. The frogs are huge. <laughs> There's so much fucking <laughs> oxygen. The bugs are the size of my torso. Why are there, why are there big head lizards with tiny legs? <laughs> Steven, we're back. Hey. This is my segment. All right. <laughs> I, have two, I have two games I, I want to talk about today. Uh, on, on I am excited to be clear. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I'm br- I'm bringing two games to the table today. Uh, one of them is Dead Cells: Return to Castlevania, and the Ooh. other one is the demo for the new Resident Evil Four remake. Which which one do you want to hear about first? Oh man, I I'm honestly really curious about both. I would say open with uh, the Dead Cells. I have the least information about that, so I'm, yeah. I'm most curious about that. Yeah, yeah, this is this is an interesting one for me. So Dead Cells is a game that uh, I think I want to say came out in 2015 or 2016. It's like an older game at this point. It's an older indie game. Did it come to Switch? Because I remember that was one of the earlier games we covered. Was that a later Switch port then? We've we've never brought it to the show, I, I learned recently. because I, I, Dead Cells? Yeah, isn't that weird? We I, definitely have. I'm pretty sure we did in like 2018. I looked it up recently and I, and I, and I couldn't find it to, to see if we had talked about it because I was curious what our thoughts were. Because I, I remember playing it right when it launched and thinking like, I wish I liked this more, but I think at that point I was already kind of burnt out on the amount of roguelike stuff that I was playing. Sure. Um, Cause that, that was like deep Spelunky era, deep rogue legacy and, and all this other stuff. Uh, I was just like really in the weeds on, on a lot of different roguelikes at the time. So when dead cells came out, it was like, I acknowledge that this is very pretty. I acknowledge this is a thing that I should like. I enjoy a lot of what's going on here, but I just like could never really hit the groove with it the same way I have with other games of that genre. So as much as I was looking forward to it before it came out, I played it at PAX. I remember playing the Switch version at PAX like before it dropped and being like, I'm so excited for this. But when it came out, I was like, eh, I'm not sure if this is really going to work for me. But I always had it in the back of my head as like, one day I'll check this out again. Yeah, I uh, have always admired what that studio is doing because they're a co-op uh, motion twin. The studio that makes it is a co-op where it's like everyone has essentially agency everyone has ownership in the company like I've, I've really loved that um what i learned recently with the release of this new stuff is that they actually spun off a little mini studio that just does extra content for dead cells that's like that's all they're doing because the studio themselves didn't really want to be known as like just the dead cell studio so they're like working on new stuff they're publishing stuff like they're doing a bunch of other things but they were like we have to acknowledge that dead cells is a huge fucking hit and like we want to continue to make stuff for that game and 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 uh, put out content for it so they've released a lot a lot of expansions over the years which i didn't even realize honestly until i was on the eShop the other day and and just saw they had this like bundle i think it was like $12 that included the i think five other expansions that they've released over over the years that vary wildly in terms of the kinds of content that they have. They have some that are like, this is just for early game content. This is just like stuff that's going to help you in the beginning of your run. They have some stuff that's like, here's for the people who are like super hardcore and have beaten the game multiple times and want like a new challenge. And here's a bunch of other stuff that like adds more throughout the game. So you kind of have in a way, at least the, the feeling that I've had playing it a little bit this week, almost like if you were to play Spelunky and every once in a while they would drop DLC for Spelunky that added new pathways you could go down. So like at the end of every level in Spelunky 2, for example, you can choose to go left or right down two different pathways and choose which way you're going to make your way through that game. It's almost as if Dead Cells is constantly adding new trajectories and ways that you can go. It's like, well, you can go down to the sewers or you can go up to these ramparts or you can go left and down into this new zone that we've made that's like, you know, a weird like shipwreck area, things like that, which I think is a cool way of updating a roguelike, you know, just to continue to add freshness to each run instead of saying like, well, here's just one piece of content that you can go check out if you want to. It's like this actually just makes the game more interesting by giving you more choice on a run to run basis, which is, I think, like the key to the best roguelike games is the amount of choices that a player can make in any given run. 
all of that having been said, the big release from the past week was this new thing that they've added, a new expansion that's called Return to Castlevania, which kind of is what it says on the tin. It's like you as the prisoner from Dead Cells can just wander into the world of Castlevania as one of the biomes that you can eventually make your way into. Uh, and I started with a fresh save. I had played the game a little bit in the past, but I just deleted that save file because I was like, I don't remember enough of this. I don't remember yeah. how to play. So I just started with a fresh save, which meant that I had to play the game a couple times before that even presented itself to me. But I think I had I had died like three or four times before I was making my way out of the prison and like a huge swarm of bats just flew by. I was like, that's my cue. There's Castlevania shit somewhere. And you eventually, if you make your way around the starting area, will run into Richter Belmont, who's just kind of hanging out and is like, <laughs> hey, I need some help. Dracula's back, et cetera, et cetera. It's like all the hits, you know, it's like every Castlevania game. He's like, I, I, I'm going to need your help with this. So you kind of make your way down the stairwell and into what is the outside of Dracula's castle. And man, it is just Castlevania in like the best way possible. Like I know uh, you and I did a bonus recently about Symphony of the Night. It feels so much like Symphony of the Night in a lot of ways. Yeah. And is definitely... I think an homage to every Castlevania game and not just Symphony of the Night, but it feels a lot, especially just because of the like the the art direction of Dead Cells. It feels like it has the most in common with Symphony of the Night to me. Sure. Yeah. But the way it opens is you have to like essentially prove yourself. There's like trials you have to go through to make your way into Dracula's castle. So like the first thing that happens is you make your way up to the gate and the gate is raised over this big moat and you need to figure out a way to lower the gate. And that involves going down into some sewers, fighting a bunch of like literally just Castlevania enemies and then making your way up to a big switch that you can pull so the gate will drop so every time you end up there in future runs the gate will already be down which is great and then from that point on you need to make your way up an elevator that's like a rickety metal elevator where you need to continue to uh, throw switches to get it to go up higher and higher and higher and then eventually you finally make your way into Dracula's castle like there's this whole entire preamble that you have to do as like there's a there's a pre biome in a way to Castlevania stuff which I think is honestly really cool for adding to the effect of like Dracula is almost testing you before you even show up at the door in a way. Right. It's like yeah. you, you need to prove yourself worthy to even show up in the Castlevania shit. Yeah, that might also kind of transition into the other series more seamlessly because I feel like if you just abruptly were there, it might be kind of jarring. Yeah, you know? that is how a lot of Castlevania games start, right? It's like True. you're kind yeah. of in the village outside of the castle and then you need to make your way closer and closer to the castle and then eventually make your way in. And then anytime you die from that point on, you're usually starting from the beginning of the castle. In this case, what they've done, which I think is very smart, is like you just kind of make it easier to get into the castle in future runs. Yeah. But I played this a lot. I'll, I'll say this. I am not only falling in love with this return to Castlevania DLC. I think it's like some of the coolest Castlevania shit I've ever played also. But I'm really falling in love with Dead Cells. Like I'm fi I finally feel like I get it. And I think That's a awesome. lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm like playing this fully feature rich game that has all of this DLC added to it. So I'm getting all of these like fun flavors I didn't even know existed really at all and definitely weren't there in the beginning of the game. Like I learned recently that they had an expansion that was I think it's called Everyone is Here based on Smash Brothers. But oh. <laughs> essentially they just took a bunch of uh armor sets and items and weapons from different indie games and just threw them into dead cells. So like the run I had recently, the one that I did the best in the Castlevania stuff, I found the nail from hollow Knight, like before oh, I even made it into the castle, which allowed me to just like completely destroy monsters. 
which was really fun. But I think the, the, the bigger thing in, in the Castlevania stuff is like the reverence for Castlevania because Dead Cells is obviously inspired by it. And you and I yeah. talked about this a little bit in, in the Symphony of the Night bonus and the, in the Super Metroid bonus. But I think one of the listener questions was something to the akin of like, why aren't there more roguelikes that are just based off of Castlevania straight up? You know, I feel like you get a couple here and there, like Rogue Legacy is obviously one of them. But I feel like Dead Cells takes a lot of inspiration, even in the way the map looks on the bottom right hand corner. Like it takes a lot of inspiration from Castlevania. And this to me feels like the dream for any indie developer, right? Is like you go talk to the the company that makes the thing you're inspired by and they just give you free reign, carte blanche to do whatever you want with their shit. Yeah. Um, so, and they've really turned out for it. It's like you can tell they really took that opportunity, grabbed it by the horns and like made it work because you get so many little glimpses of fun little things from Castlevania. So like th- there's one room you could that I think spawns every once in a while where like you can see the, the big like rotating save orb from Symphony of the Night that's there. And like you can't actually interact with it or anything, but it's like cool that it's there. You know, it's yeah. almost like, ah, I know that kind of nostalgia hit in a way. But even just the way the enemies themselves come in from Castlevania, the way that they're incorporated into Dead Cells feels so natural, which is really yeah. cool. I think like Dead Cells is known so much for its movement opportunity, yeah. like the, the ability to, you know, duck, dodge under things, you know, roll back and forth, jump in the air and shoot your bow and arrow. You know, the the way the different weapons ask you to play in different styles. So like you can have one weapon that's specifically tuned to like hit enemies in the back, which means you're constantly rolling back and forth or other ones that are like, no, you need to shoot this person in the front with their arrow or you can get shields that parry things like all that stuff really weirdly does work perfectly in tandem with Castlevania's enemies like the the big lion wheel thing from Symphony of the Night right yeah like that's in this game and that's a perfect enemy for dead cells because you can like kind of you, you have to jump over it or you have to dodge under it and things like that um the little like lizard dudes that are in the sewers that shoot fireballs at you and jump out of the water like those guys are perfect for dead cells the skeletons that throw bones at you from afar perfect for dead cells like all of these enemies just work perfectly and it all culminates at least for me in my experience so far it all culminates with you essentially need to prove yourself again by fighting and defeating death and that's like the beginning of the return to castlevania dlc is like you make your way up to dracula's area his like sanctum and as soon as you're about to walk through the door like a big chain kind of comes up from the underworld and rips and pulls you down into this like space between spaces where you need to fight death as like a big boss fight and when you do that what it does is incorporates castlevania's stuff just into the main game so like you you have to go out of your way to start the castlevania stuff beat death and then at that point uh alucard shows up and is like hey the bridge between our worlds is in a clock tower and if you can find a clock tower in your world that will allow you to enter my world and we can continue this quest and the clock tower is in dead cells already it's like one of the biomes in dead cells it's i think like the fourth or fifth biome that you can reach at a certain point like if you make the right decisions in terms of how you're progressing through the game and when you get to the clock tower that allows you to go back to castlevania and continue to progress that it's really it's i think it's a really smart way of doing this kind of stuff because as i mentioned before the i feel like the the impulse is like hey we have a new piece of content and you need to go out and you need to find it and then you just kind of like do that little side thing and then you're done with it and i think taking that and saying like we're actually going to split it into two bits where 
There's one main quest you need to do to start this. And then from that point on, Castlevania is just part of Dead Cells. Every run yeah. you do, you can opt into doing Castlevania stuff if you want, if that makes sense for the run that you're on and the build that you have at this point. It's really smart. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of, weirdly enough, the <laughs> Three Houses DLC, where like there was oh, yeah, totally. essentially like a side mission that was like its own save file, its own game in a weird way, Yeah, where like you played through that mission. And by doing that, you unlocked all of those characters and new features into a normal run of three houses. Mm -hmm. So like you can do the side story and you can also just like get a wolf or two in a run of three houses. Yeah. It's a really clever way to do it. And it sounds like the, the inclusion of Castlevania here, I mean, even from the advertisements, like it's obviously such a natural fit because of the inspiration, you know, dead cells is like yeah. very clearly inspired by Castlevania, but I think, and it's been a long time since I played dead cells, but I remember distinctly, the sense of humor of the game and sort of like the campiness of it and the Sega Genesis sort of presentation that is a perfect match for Castlevania. It sounds like they're really complementing each other because Castlevania isn't really known for movement. Like a lot of the games that like the characters are fairly stiff. Yes. And it's a lot about timing when you like avoid the bones being tossed at you. Mm -hmm. So having a game where you have those enemies, but you do have all the movement capabilities. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And I, I hesitate to say this because I don't, I don't, I, as I've mentioned in the past, I don't have a huge affinity for Castlevania as a franchise, but I, I will say this is the most enjoyable experience I've had in the world of Castlevania Yeah, in like any game. And a lot of that has to do with, yeah, as soon as you increase my, my ability to maneuver through the world, I'm suddenly more interested in maneuvering through the world. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I remember sort of the, and this is just, again, our opinion, but our takeaway from doing that bonus about, you know, the Metroidvania, Super Metroid and, and Symphony of the Night, a lot of the questions were like, does Castlevania get too much credit? Like, obviously, Metroid has had, you know, it was more the more of the foundational game. Mm -hmm. And I really go back to what we said there, where I think Castlevania's main influence, obviously, there are games that like directly pull from it in terms of the RPG side. But I do think that Castlevania's success after Super Metroid was really a proof that you could do more in that style of game, even yeah. more than what that game was doing itself. It was like, you can actually just explore this space in any way you want to. Mm. And it sounds like this DLC is kind of doing that even further. Yeah. You know, like they have that content in the game, but Dead Cells as a game is also like, well, what if there was a roguelike approach to a Metroidvania style game? Yeah. So I, I just think it's, it's a really cool continuation of that philosophy it sounds like it very much is yeah. yeah and i i'm finding myself falling into dead cells like proper like the base game Hell like yeah. i've i've been really 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 enjoying the process of starting to like unlock all of the weapons and armor and upgrades and things like that i, th I think i'm think this is a game i'm probably going to start playing a lot more if i were to guess because i yeah even i i set out with the expectation of like i'm going to check out the castlevania stuff and then bring it to the show and what i really walked away from was like i bought all the dlc and now i just want to see everything that dead cells has to offer which you know is exactly why they do dlc and big shit like this <laughs> right like this is exactly why you decide you're going to make the castlevania dlc is like maybe it'll bring people back into dead cells or onboard new people into dead cells and it very much has for me uh i'm loving it so far but yeah I, I remember like you know whether or not we covered it that game came out on switch in 2018 
and I just feel like that was when we first started the show. And at least for me, I was like getting the rhythm down of like, how often do I get new games? How long do I play them for? All that mm. stuff. So I feel like a lot of games that came out in that era kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like I wasn't able to put like enough time into them to really know how I felt. And I think Dead Cells, from what I remember, you kind of need to see like the runs are fairly long, if I'm remembering correctly. So I feel yeah. like you, you kind of need to like devote some time to it to even see what the shape of a run looks like you know to kind of know like why am i continuing this yeah in a way that i think other roguelikes kind of give you that information faster which is not better or worse it's just like that might be why it didn't click with you initially yeah i think one of the things that i I bounced off of initially and i'm still bouncing off of a little bit but i'm starting to like get under my belt at least is uh the the time of it all specifically the fact that they're timing your runs on the bottom right at all times and your ability to go into different biomes and different doors and stuff is dependent on how quickly you've made it through the first opening couple areas of the run up until that point so like you know the the first door is like yeah if you if you've gotten here in under a minute then this door will open for you and if you've gotten here in under 30 seconds then this door will open for you and i f- i frequently feel like there's no way just because of the way that it's a roguelike so it's generating every single time i i frequently run into situations where it's like there's literally no way i would have made it here in 30 seconds like i, I just think yeah. this is an impossibility <laughs> and that can be frustrating you know those moments where it's like the game the game is asking something to me that's like actually physically impossible based on what's been generated for me. But also what I found is that even in the runs where I am making it there in time, it's like my run success is not contingent on getting into those doors and into those spaces. Like it really, right. I, I, I think the, at least the opening couple runs or like the opening act of dead cells for most people is a pretty linear process. Honestly, like there's, there's a, a very clearly telegraphed direction that you're supposed to head in and, and certain, uh, certain biomes that you should go to in a certain order. And a lot of that is because of the NPCs, like the NPCs are very talkative and will, and will give you that information. I think they, they took a little bit from dark souls in that way where it's like, you know, they're, they're vague. Definitely the, the different NPCs that you can find who will talk to you, but they will at least, head you in a, in a direction that will progress the game you know so like i was in the sewers recently and i met a i met a squid who also told me to go to the clock tower for reasons that i don't know he was like go find a person at the clock tower i was like okay cool i'll, I'll do that um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll head there eventually and then you know probably continue to progress through the game but all that said uh on top of everything that i've already talked about about the Castlevania stuff, I'll just add that they add all the weapons from Castlevania and a lot of outfits as well, which is really fun. Um, so I got the like the cross boomerang that you can throw that like goes out and then hangs out in an area and spins for a while and then comes back to you. That weapon is unreal in Dead Cells. It's so fun. I also in in Symphony of the Night, I loved the uh, the the Bible that just like rotates around you, like the yeah. holy book. Yeah, which I do think is also a weapon that you can get. Um, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of really good stuff in there. And then you can also get like all the Belmont's outfits that you can wear. I'm currently dressed Hell as Santa yeah. Claus because I think at some point <laughs> they they released like some kind of a holiday DLC that was free. So uh, it that came with a Santa Claus outfit and a snowman outfit. And I'm, I'm dressed as Santa Claus, which is fun. There's like at least a 46 percent chance that Santa is in one of the Castlevania games. Like I just feel like <laughs> the, the game has an irreverent enough sense of humor that like there's probably a secret room where Santa like throws an axe at you or something. Yeah, I, you know, weirdly, I, I picked the Santa Claus outfit because I thought it was funny and like matched the, the humor and tone of Dead Cells at first. Yeah. And then I, it's so faded into the background. Like I completely forgot that it was like a funny <laughs> thing I was doing. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm just like Santa Claus really is hanging out with Richter Belmont over here. <laughs> That's amazing. I I might pick it up. I think you sold me on it. And and you know, I 
I have very little time with Dead Cells, um, so I would love to revisit it. Yeah, I just keep playing runs. That's the thing is like that's that's when I know a game is really getting its hooks into me is like, yeah, I, I'm checking it out for one specific reason. and I can't stop playing it even when I've already figured out what my take is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe expect to hear more about Dead Cells. The other game, the other game, just a hard pivot uh, that I played and, and threw a video up on our YouTube about uh, is Resident Evil 4, the remake. It's coming out in like two weeks, just about. Uh, and I can't believe that. Had a, a Capcom event recently, and at the end of that event, announced that there is a demo available called the Chainsaw Demo, which I downloaded with like really no, I had no idea what the demo was going to be. I didn't even watch the event, so I still don't even know what they showed off in that event. But I was like, there's a demo, I'm going to play it. You know, just go in with with absolutely no pretense. And it turns out it's pretty much just the opening of the game. It's like really like without the the opening first cutscenes and a couple things, you know, removed um, is like Leon running into a zombie for the first time and then heading into the village uh, from the beginning of Resident Evil 4, which I feel like is the thing that even if you've never played Resident Evil 4, you've definitely seen the village. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah. it's iconic at this point, um, which honestly, I think for people like you and me who have played a lot of Resident Evil 4, it's really helpful to go through an area like that that you know so well as a way of framing your expectations for what the remake is going to be. Um, because you learn very quickly the differences in what's going on mechanically, but you also learn what they've decided to touch up and what they've decided to keep as is, which I think is the most important thing about it. Because the village itself, which is iconic, as we've mentioned, is mostly untouched. Even the way you like progress through that area is mostly untouched which i i forgot if you watch that video i totally forgot how you're supposed to make it through and maneuver through that area like where you get the shotgun and like the grenades and things like that like completely forgot about all those mechanics until i was in the moment and just kind of like wandering around trying to not die but really what that means is like the team behind this game has a full understanding of what can be improved and what doesn't need to be improved at all. And like that village is a thing that doesn't need to be improved at all. But what comes right before that, that first moment when Leon first runs into zombies is like, I always thought of as an iconic moment. And I actually kind of like what they've done in this game a little bit better where it's like, you can kind of hear the grumbling of a guy somewhere in this house. And you're just trying to get information about like where, the security guards that you were with have been carted off to and the the house in which you first run into that guy i think is a little bit i think i think it's it's set up a little bit better tonally than it used to be because i i feel like the of all the things that you can say that are wonderful about resident evil 4 one of the things that i would knock it for is like there's a little bit of sameness in that early area where it all feels kind of very stagnant and then once you get into the village it's like oh my god i wasn't prepared for this i think what they've done in this game that's really smart is they've set up this big facade of this first house that you go into so it feels very much like every resident evil game it reminds me a lot of seven in that way where it's like you're entering the house for the first time and you have no idea what's going to be in there but in this case because you've played resident evil 4 before you absolutely know what's going to be in there there's going to be a zombie and then you're going to kill him and then you're going to wander out and make your way towards the village. What they've done is they've upped the ante, which I appreciate, where once you find that first guy, suddenly there are three more behind you. And that almost allows you to get into the headspace of like, I'm not safe at any point. Even the moments in which I think I know what's going to happen in this remake, they might swerve it just a little bit. It's almost like going from 
Super Mario Brothers to the Lost Levels, where it's like you think you know what's possible in a Mario <laughs> game, but now there's a mushroom that kills you instead of making you power up. That's kind of how I felt playing this. Yeah, I, I imagine too, like the people at Capcom know that there is a significant percentage of the fans of Resident Evil 4 that have that game like muscle memory. Totally. At that point, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting, you mentioned, you know, the the setup of the village and how iconic it is. What stands out to me, like whenever I go back to Resident Evil 4, which I revisit fairly often, it's a, it's a fun like Halloween game to go back to. Yeah. But like the levels are almost designed in the same way that like a multiplayer map would be. Mm-hmm. Like they all kind of feel like you know Romero'd blood gulches in some ways yeah. where like it's it's like because the AI in that game is so good I mean even the original like mm-hmm. hiding in a house and seeing them put ladders up like they really captured like the Night of the Living Dead like we're all in this house yeah. we just have to survive and really the the way the game influences you like I think one of the instincts you might have when you play Resident Evil 4 for the first time because the first area there's no clear mission you just have to survive I think for a certain amount of time yeah so one instinct might be like, well, there's like a, a choke point right at the beginning. So you could just like <laughs> right. stand there and lower everyone there, but you don't have enough ammo to survive that. And there's so many. Yeah. So the game is really pushing you. Like you actually just have to be on the move constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's where the game takes off and where like there are so many organic moments of, of response to what the enemy is trying to do. And like, yeah. you know, if you try to just hide and kind of cheese the game, the, the enemies will respond to that in a way that's still so impressive yeah and it's cool it sounds like they they nailed that at least so far in in the remake yeah which i i mean i ran into that in not not to spoil my own video but i ran into that in in that recording that i did because i you know eventually remembered like oh yeah shit i have to go into this house and here's where the shotgun is and i think there's a grenade up here and i can use all of this to my advantage you know let me let me start to go into this house push the ladders over start to push things you know bookcases in front of doors and windows and stuff to kind of head off the zombies in my experience of doing all that I realized I wasn't doing all of it fast enough because I went to go turn down and look down the stairwell so I could throw a grenade there when the chainsaw guy came in he was already up the stairs by the time I thought to do that you know and (laughs) and he wiped me out like immediately which is where I ended the video because I was like honestly this is perfect I think they I think they've nailed this. You know, I I think I think this is going to be incredible. Like, I really I think this is going to be like goatee contender, like maybe the best of all the remakes kind of situation, because you and I have talked about this a little bit off the show, but I think two and three leave a lot open to interpretation. Right. And those remakes fill in a lot of those blanks. And yeah, I think in a lot of cases made those games better for some people and worse for some people. It really depends on who you are and how much of an affinity you have for those games. But I feel like because there wasn't as much of a huge community love for two and three as there is for four, it allowed Capcom to have a little bit more leeway in terms of the way they were interpreting those games where four, because there's so much reverence for that original thing, a lot of people even ask the question, why remake this at all? And this to me is a good answer to that question is like, because there are some things where if it's your literal actual job to remake Resident Evil 4, you can make better in the process. Uh, not yeah. to say that the original is going to get replaced in any way or whatever, but I do think there's a little bit of room to introduce to a new generation of players why Resident Evil 4 is so beloved. And I feel like this is getting very close to accomplishing that for me already, just in what I've seen from the demo. I feel like I feel like they've they've earned my trust, at least, you know? Yeah, that, that's that's great to hear. I think it is a harder task 
for all the reasons you mentioned to remake for i mean like two is a is a beloved classic but i think you know resident evil one and two are so of that era Mm -hmm. they're of the tank control ps1 era which like is a little bit like cilantro where it might taste like soap to you yeah even even in this remake just being able to to move a little bit while you shoot versus the original is a huge (laughs) quality of life improvement to me that will probably mean that i'll play this remake more than the original going forward yeah i mean there there's intentionality to that stop and shoot though you know that is like that is central to the design of the game but i think you're right that there's like there's a stiffness there that can be sanded off and i think the best you know it's case by case with remakes for me because i think on one hand you know our interest in game preservation and like honoring the past you don't want to just like replace a game because it's old but Mm -hmm. i think capcom they're in such a great era right now for like, yeah. you know, all their, you know, new entries with like Monster Hunter World and Rise. The remakes of I haven't played the remake of three. That seems to be a little bit more divisive from what I've seen. But I love the remake of two as someone who like Resident Evil two was sort of my foundation for survival horror. I thought the remake was a really different experience. And for me, that's kind of what I want is like if you're remaking a game from that era, you know, take the FF seven remake approach where it's like they live alongside each other, Mm -hmm. not not over one another or eclipsing the other. Yeah. With four, I think it's it's a harder balance because they got so much right. That you don't want to, you know, completely deviate from that. But yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited to play it and see how they struck that balance. Yeah, that's in a couple of weeks. As, as we mentioned, I think last week, I, I think there's no way in which I'm going to hold that game for October. I'm, I got I got to <laughs> play that like right when it comes out. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too, about the upcoming Street Fighter six as well, which like I was so happy when that got announced because like, again, Capcom is like, you know, just killing it with every one of their series or with you know, their big flagship series. And I was wondering if after the Street Fighter five scenario, if Street Fighter was going to get the same glow up and it seems like it has yeah, a lot of Capcom content on the horizon. Capcom is uh, doing very well right now. I'm just saying though, Project X Zone 3, <laughs> consider it. <laughs> I'm excited to play that game. Honestly, I mean, yeah. walking away, I meant to mention this earlier when we were talking about the 3DS, but walking away from the 3DS episode, I, I found, I found a lot more games that I want to talk about for the 3DS. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think, I don't think, you know, for those of you who aren't backing the Patreon, I don't think that'll be the end of 3DS conversation for us. Just a heads up. And that's kind of, I mean, I remember arriving at that point. It's a bit of a foggy memory because it was such a long recording. <laughs> uh, but I remember being like, this is not like sometimes with the bonus, it's like kind of closing the book on something. Yeah. Not ever really. Cause we can always revisit it and like, you know, that's what art is all about. It's mm-hmm. not like a one and done thing, but like, I do think with a 3DS, it, it has sort of just reaffirmed its place in my life. It's like, I'm always going to kind of fall back to this yeah. uh, or fall, fall back on this in some ways. And there's, you know, again, like even trying to cover an entire systems library, there's always more to experience. Yeah. So excited for that. Excited for the 3DS and Resident <laughs> Evil 4 remake and to play more Dead Cells. I also really like the redesign of the, so every area in Resident Evil has like one kind of big bad which is so fun because like, you, they're all sort of distinguished by a sound. Yeah. So like in the village, it's the chainsaw guy with the paper bag on his head. Mm-hmm. And then in the castle, it's like the cat claw enemy. Right. You can hear like, you can either hear the chainsaw or the sharpening. Of, so as you're like, you know, moving bookcases and you hear everything, you might hear just like the revving of a chainsaw. Like, oh shit. Yeah. But in in the remake, they've really made him even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like he looks kind of funny in the original. There's sort of a, a humor to him and it, that's just gone in the remake yeah in the remake He's it's like i don't know eyelids yeah it's like i don't even know how he ended up looking like that yeah 
I'm really curious to see if the merchant got a glow up or if it's or if it's just the merchant we know and love. God, I'm That's, so excited to find out. Yeah, I wonder if that yeah. was in the in the Capcom event. Again, I didn't watch it, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe 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 he showed up. But uh, I was also a little bit weirded out when the game started and I didn't hear him go Resident Evil Four. Yeah. Is the and that's my I guess my follow up question is like how is the camp because four is so campy four opens with Leon going where's everyone going bingo yeah and then <laughs> and then the title appears like it seems like this one is leaning a little bit closer to horror but I, I wonder if there's still that level of like camp to it yeah they I, I'll say this much and I, I'll give a shout out to uh, Imran Khan who wrote uh, for for their substack uh, a hands-on impression of this game way back when and affirmed that this game is still campy but the moment that he wrote about in that was also present in the demo which is uh in that first house when you first run into a bunch of zombies uh you're kind of backed into a corner and leon goes well i guess i'll see myself out and does like a <laughs> jumping somersault out the window of the second floor of the house to escape those zombies. And then that's when you make your way through the forest on your way to the village. Um, and as soon as that happened, I was like, yeah, they that's got it. the Leon we love. Yeah. Not, not Ethan going like, no, you're dead. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> I love my hand. Yeah. <laughs> the, the jump scare of Ethan, like hour six starting to do one liners yeah. is the most horrific part of getting, village. getting confident. It's like, yeah. don't, don't get confident. I don't know what's happening. Let's take that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> Resident Evil 8, though, weirdly, and we talked about this a lot when we talked about that game, but that that game really was in some ways a spiritual remake of four. Yeah. Which almost reaffirmed my question of like, why remake four when eight exists even? Because it yeah. feels like a modern remake of four in a lot of ways. But I'm I'm very happy with what I've played. So I'm, yeah, I'm eight, excited. Eight, uh, I think we described it as like a, a Disneyland of Resident Evil because there's sort of the yeah. zones that are all kind of like, you know, referencing one era. Yeah. Uh, but the the base of it is all four, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, because because so. four four does that a lot, but it's not really in reverence or relating to other Resident Evil games. It just is weird. <laughs> it no, just I like mean, is that game. If you haven't played Resident Evil Four, not to keep hyping it up, but like the direction in which that game's narrative and environment design goes is so. F- far from what you're imagining especially starting <laughs> off in that village some the place that that game ends compared to where it begins is a night and day scenario you can't even guess it it's incredible what's fascinating too about four because again it's like that is one of the most influential games of that era like even outside of the series like mm-hmm. that game kind of made popular the over the shoulder third person view yeah you know which is you can draw a line from resident evil 4 to the modern god of war games pretty easily absolutely yeah but i think like at the time the line of inspiration after four was like all the wrong lessons to learn. Like, I feel like it was, you know, we got five and six, which five and six, I think kind of followed on this sort of like perhaps intentional or or not Michael Bay energy of four. Right. And then I think we had, you know, biohazard, which seven kind of reset everything. Yeah. And now it seems like they're really looking back on four and like, okay, what was the other path we could have gone down? Yes. Like what are, what are the actual lessons to learn from four that aren't, be flashier and like be more Michael Bay. <laughs> right. Because I, as you and I have talked about a lot in relation to Resident Evil, and I don't think this is a spoiler for four or any of them really, but like part of the part of the gist of those games is you start off completely alone and with nothing. You know, you don't have enough materials to survive in a lot of cases and you just need to make do. And then by the end of the game, you have like a rocket launcher and a sniper rifle and you're roundhouse kicking everybody and you can survive 
everything um and they just throw like bigger and scarier enemies at you because you have a bigger and wilder arsenal at your disposal and four has a very i think one of the brilliant things about four is it has a very natural progression towards that yeah five just starts where four ends and then six starts where five ends right and all of that is troubling yeah Uh, yeah that that is a very classic resident evil ramp up though because i think they all sort of end with an explosion yeah in some cases quite literally but there usually is like whatever's (laughs) been kind of bubbling is now you know fully blown right and in some cases that really works in some cases it doesn't and i think in four somehow it all works yeah i think four well i think as the game continues it might veer away from the traditional horror it's always tense which mm-hmm. i think that's the that's the brilliant thing about four is that it's actually it's more tense and more uh honestly fun than a lot of the older ones are like i think that they yeah. struck that nice balance not to say that it's better it's a, it's a different experience but i think it's trying to be uh, the original four at least is a little bit more arcadey mm-hmm. and and a little bit more um action oriented without undoing the horror that came before it yeah yeah absolutely the the curse thought i just had while we were talking about this was <laughs> should i replay five and six and uh i'm just gonna not act on that at all and just wait until four <laughs> remake comes out i feel like i kind of want to see six that's such 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 a fully blown disaster i want to have like firsthand experience with what went wrong yeah i have i i have a little bit of a memory of five i have no memory of six i did play it yeah to completion i think more than once and i i don't remember anything that happens in it i couldn't even tell you who the protagonist is well there are multiple so six's whole thing is that you switch who you're playing as and they're all kind of different games and the only part that's like halfway enjoyable is when you're playing as leon from whatever because leon's, leon's part, in six yeah for part of oh my I, god if i'm remembering correctly but apparently like part of it you play as leon and that plays like a four or five <laughs> and then everything else like there's a chris chapter that's just like full-blown call of duty oh my god. um and like i think there's a jill chapter but she's like under mind control or something oh my god it's wild yeah anyway uh resident evil four five and six are all available on the switch I just need to know, because even that, I'm like, I don't have all the data. I kind of want to be a, a I want to speak to six and what happened yeah. <laughs> confidently. I, 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 I saw your brain waves for a, a hot second. I was fully, I was fully psychonauts in your head. I, I, I heard you almost say, I want to be a six apologist. And <laughs> I, I can promise you that will never happen. <laughs> I don't want to apologize for six. I want to be a six analyst. I want to mm. be able to be like, here's what the volcano has done to its surrounding area <laughs> because i love resident evil and i i i know all about the the good yeah. parts but i think you need to embrace it all you can be like a, a a video game consultant but your only mode of expertise is resident evil 6 it's <laughs> like yeah we, we bring hilger in every once in a while just to make sure we're not going down the wrong path he just tells us if it's like resident <laughs> evil 6 or not and he and he, he, ho- like- he holds up a little a little sign that says yes or no um I and then like he leaves one of those metal detectors that like beep if something is a little bit too re sixty. Like, <laughs> oh, you're you're treading on thin ice here. You're you're an inch or two away from a Chris chapter with this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, now uh, is anyway. a good time to take a break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling a little sixty. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, that's like a shower. All right, goodbye, Stephen. We're back. I want to I want to issue a correction. 
Okay. Uh, more more of a concession, I guess, because you were right. Uh, I I checked <laughs> our I checked our air table, which is again available to five dollar backers on Patreon, to see if we had talked about Dead Cells before, and you're totally right. We talked about it in 2018. In Sketch Turner confirmed for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate is the name of the episode. One of the worst things about being friends with me is I have an excellent long term memory and a terrible <laughs> short term memory. So I'm annoying in things that don't matter, but when you need me most in the present, I'm like, huh. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, it, that section, I, I, it, it probably wasn't super long or in depth. It was probably more of like, "Hey, we're playing this," so it was definitely worth revisiting. So you, yeah, your your like sentimentality was right on the money. Yeah, uh, we also talked about Super Smash Brothers Ultimate in that one, and wow. apparently a Nintendo Direct. Yeah, it's been, it's been long enough since the early days of the show that like that whole pump for Smash era feels like, oh, these little babies. Like, you know? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah. Super Smash Brothers is over at this point. No more, I say. Not until it's kind of fascinating that I feel like for the bulk of the show that they were still updating that game. Kind of the opposite yeah. of uh, of Mario Kart, where it was like for basically four years that game got constantly updated. Yeah, and I I wonder like I, every now and then I'll have a friend ask me like, do you think they'll make a new Smash? And I'm like, I don't really think they need to for at least like 10 years yeah <laughs> i think that until games fundamentally change how we experience them we're good for for a long time but i do imagine we'll get like a smash deluxe you know whatever the new hardware is it will be this is just a guess but it makes sense to have like port over smash ultimate with all the dlc yeah kind of like they did with mario kart yeah know, feels right. i do think in, in thinking about that a little bit I, I do wonder if i don't i don't think that super smash brothers has the same pull in terms of like general appeal that mario kart 8 does in a way but i do think that game is such a slam dunk that it would be very silly for them to just like veer away from it because i as you and i talked about a little bit in the 3ds episode when talking about smash for 3ds every time they make a new super smash brothers game it's like a roll of the dice if it's gonna be better than the last one or not you know which we don't have that many to go off of you know we, we can't really discern a pattern but there have been enough stumbles over the course of that time where it's like it's not a guarantee that the next smash will be as good as the previous one and the safest thing to do is to just port the one that worked over yeah. to the new hardware <laughs> yeah because it's like the very first one almost feels like a different game at this point like smash, smash yeah. 64 is really charming and really fun and it's kind of like refreshing that it's like here's eight characters you know yeah. like that's actually kind of appealing at this point right. um then melee <laughs> is melee of course brawl was the stumble and yeah. then four was like a step in the right direction. I think four in a vacuum is incredible, but then ultimate is like, okay, this is, this is the one. Yeah. Ultimate is wild. It's, it's amazing that, that game exists. Yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> one of, one of the many ads for it leading up to it coming out, or maybe in a moment in one of the directs was like this song that was like, here's everything you ever wanted. Like, I just remember, like, <laughs> it was like lyrics like that. Like you're kind of right. Yeah. But now, Mario Kart is the new Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> the the ha the baton pass of uh question mark character updates means it's uh Sketch Turner is confirmed for <laughs> Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh man, I would love a comic zone level. Are you kidding? <laughs> like an aha being drawn in real time All as you race. side scrolling. Yeah, yeah. Mario Kart. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, speaking of the Switch, I so <laughs> yeah, that's I, a clean lead into your segment, right? Yeah. <laughs> I the, the last couple of weeks have been weirdly like kind of all over the place in terms of my schedule. So I played like a bunch of different games for a small amount of time. Uh, and a lot of them were just sort of like looking at my backlog, looking at games that I 
have planned on playing but haven't yet. And one of them that I was kind of amazed I hadn't picked up yet was the Switch port of Nier Automata, which came out towards the end of last year and was sort of one of the many things we've been wishing for since the show began Right. And came out and like is an incredible pork. Like I've read nothing but glowing things about it. It's really good. It's called the End of Yorha Edition, I believe. And it has some free DLC. And, and I don't know if there's like unique content in the game or not, other than like the costumes. But either way, like it, it, it came out in a very celebratory way. That wasn't just like, here it is on Switch. It was like, here's like another final edition of the game. Yeah, yet, yet another version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I played the beginning of it. It's kind of funny. Like, I was so happy to return to it. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And I was playing it handheld, which honestly felt magical. Like, that opening prologue mission feels like a magic trick on Switch. It's uh-huh. so stunning and cool. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can, I, can I hard pivot for a second? I've, I'm... <laughs> I've never been so distracted during a segment. There's a, squ- there's a squirrel directly out my window sitting on the, the roof right next to me, almost looking at me, eating a full strawberry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I should take a picture. I'm yeah, like, please do. Oh, it, ran, it just ran away. Shit. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my God. I can't believe it. There's pieces of strawberry all over all over my roof now. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Wow. I just I'll well, probably come back with friends. I can't believe that that just happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's very near. I don't know why, but it feels very near. No, it does feel very near. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of the endings. <laughs> Which I was gonna say. So like I had forgotten that that game opens with like basically an hour long chapter. Yeah. That doesn't let you save. Yes. I, I had never really like registered that until yeah. this playthrough where I died in like the last like the last time you could die in that mission. Oh my god. I died yeah. and then I got one of the joke endings and had to start the game over. <laughs> and I was like, this this to me right now is funny and I don't mind at all. But if this is my first time playing near Oh, man. That is what happened to me my first time playing Nier. That's why it took me so long to eventually get around <laughs> to finishing that game. Yeah. Because it's not it's not like brutal, but it's not easy. It's it's yeah. a pretty tough, especially like the thing for me was kind of relearning a how to play the game and b the controls on switch. Yeah. You know, which eventually I got down. But like I got ending W because there's an ending for every letter of the English alphabet. And uh, most of them are like what if you did the wrong thing and like it just ended here mm. but i digress like playing it again on switch was just i don't know i just i love returning to that game because i think there's so much like i remember we, we the last time i played it was a couple years ago when we first had chris plan on the show and we talked about spelunky and near automata yeah. as a bonus to kind of celebrate one year of doing bonus episodes and that playthrough was incredible but i remember our conversation going back to my long-term memory. I remember feeling like a little bit (laughs) torn about some plot reveals. I'm like, Oh, this doesn't really work for me as well as this. And every time I replay it, everything works so much better because there is so much foreshadowing. There's so much dramatic irony. If you're going into it, knowing the full state of the world. And it's just incredible. I, I think it's a, it's a hard game to recommend sometimes because I think it's, you know, like any art, not everything is for everybody, but I do think near automata is kind of like a love or hate game like, mm-hmm. i just think that it's like it's it's hard to really know like there's there's a decent chance if you play it you will have a life-changing experience 
And there's also a decent chance he might play and be like, I don't really get it. Like, I don't know what the, the, the fuss is about. And both of them are like totally fair reads. Like, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm disappointed to hear it, but I understand when people don't really mesh with this game because so much of it is inherently off-putting. I mean, even just the beginning of like dying and then having to do that all over again. But um, playing it on Switch, it, it just made me feel like I can say at least if you're curious about Nier, you've never played it before, you've never played any Yokotaro game, this is the one to play, at least the one to play first. And if you can only play it on Switch, it's an incredible port. Like You yeah. can see where like once you get to the sort of open world part of it, you can tell where like they made some compromises, but like, to be honest, that world doesn't even really look that great on PS4 either. I was just meant to say, yeah. so like they really, like the characters look great. The yeah. animations look great. The big set pieces look great, but like the, the rusted bus in the abandoned city corner was never why I was playing near. So like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I think the visual fidelity of near, uh, is more stylistic than it is like graphically intensive, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and the style is all there. I, I think like the, the big thing that I always think of is the, the space station, uh, where you oh, can like yeah. jump up to and, and go back down for missions. Um, and that, you know, it looks the same and that's fine. You know, it visually, I think reads exactly the same way uh, and runs on the switch at like a pretty perfect frame rate for those of you who care about frame rate. So yeah, I don't know. It's a great port. I, I loved what I played of it on the switch. I, I beat it once. I got the first ending um, and then never went in and continue but i feel like that might be something that i just like slowly chip away at every once in a while when i feel like it it's always on my switch it's like one of those games that i always have downloaded on my switch you know yeah whenever i'm looking through and i need to like save space to delete some stuff near is never getting deleted it's also one that actually i think benefits from being handheld like i think it works both because yeah the game is constantly changing perspective that's like my favorite thing about it is how like the camera will just change its angle and suddenly it's a Castlevania game or it's yeah, like a, right. a Asteroids game. And like, I really love Yokotaro's obsession with like sort of that era of like, arc like having all his games be visibly gamey mm -hmm. in contrast to like the very melodramatic story that's happening. Yeah. You know, like the fact that it is almost plagued to be a game like there's a there's a design choice in the open world where if you run into enemies like in most games i feel like when you alternate into combat the music will shift to match the energy and in the world map like if you're just exploring and finding enemies the the song the music is always kind of the same in those areas mm -hmm. which leads to this feeling of like why am i doing this like and that's what the game is all about exploring <laughs> right. you know <laughs> truly why am i here why am i doing this and yeah. uh i just i think if you are at all curious about that game the switch port's a great way to play it so yeah it's been on sale a lot too yeah it's it's awesome i i'll probably like that's a game that i like returning to and and you know i i don't see through all the way to the end because it's Without saying too much, it is a game that somewhat suspiciously, like when you beat it for the first time, which I would say takes like anywhere between 10 to 15 hours, the game will be like, hey, you should load your save file and uh, you're replaying it, but you're basically continuing it. It's 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 not like a uh, you're doing everything the same exact way. The game kind of blossoms what the experience is mm -hmm. um and uh i won't say any more than that but it's a real if you commit to it and you're open to what the game is trying to explore it can be a really profound experience yeah so would recommend it's, it's a fun time and then you can make your way 
into the voice of cards games that's if true. you want more yoko taro on your nintendo switch i don't want i feel like i keep leaving you hanging because you're like the only person i know who has talked about those games <laughs> yeah i still haven't heard of them anywhere except yeah. on this very podcast <laughs> like not to be egocentric it really is like just you hyping up the voice of <laughs> like, even more than yoko taro himself yeah. has done it sure feels that way like i think the first one had some buzz and the continuations i think have sort of been under the radar yeah but i think it was a really really cool idea like the first one was definitely a good proof of concept and i'm curious to see what the other two are exploring as well i still think you'll love the third one i think the third yeah. one is the one for you if you if you were going to check out one of them i would highly recommend that one yeah i i've been, they've been on my wish list on steam for a while so i i might eventually pick them up and we can we can have a why was no one talking about these games moment yeah but anyway speaking of um other games we we love that are kind of strange sci-fi explorations i'm killing it with the segues today uh <laughs> I another game that I picked up on sale that has been on my PS5 previously PS4 for like over two years at this point was Odin Sphere. Odin Sphere by Vanillaware who made 13 Sentinels which I feel like is weirdly kind of near Automata-esque in some Mm. ways. Odin Sphere Leaf Thrasir I believe it's it's essentially a remake for the it was a remake for the Vita the PS4 for maybe even the ps3 i'm not sure uh it might have been like bridging that gap a bit yeah. but anyway it was a remake of a ps2 game and odin sphere is kind of considered vanillaware's like breakout game mm-hmm. from what i've read my only vanillaware experience is 13 sentinels which you and i were were really blown away by and yeah. i've been curious about their other stuff because they're known for having this like really unique illustrated art style but there are other games I, I just didn't really have a strong interest in or kind of found off-putting um there there are several caveats to vanillaware's stuff that yeah. we've explored pretty thoroughly um but odin sphere just sort of felt like the other one to check out mm. after playing 13 sentinels and i didn't even really know what it was i didn't know, like know what the genre of game was i'm just sort of like i think it was deeply on sale one day <laughs> and i picked it up so i'm like i was thinking of what to bring to the show this week and i was like if i don't play odin sphere this week i will never play it it's just gonna <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like one of those games that i just have and think about playing for the rest of my life until we do a vita roundup episode one day yeah, right so i have played the opening hour of odin sphere and it's a lot of fun so what it is is it's essentially kind of a uh side-scrolling beat-em-up arcade game not unlike something like castle crashers or even uh, the ninja turtles game that came out recently mm. and there's a little bit more rpg stuff going on but it's very arcadey and it's kind of interesting to see in contrast to 13 Sentinels because 13 Sentinels is a visual novel that has segmented RTS sections that are just sort of like a PS2E grid, you know? So like yeah. it's completely removed from their more, you know, illustrated art style that the visual novel part is. Um, it's like you're playing two different games and in some ways you are. Odin Sphere, it's all just that style. So it's kind of, it's actually really cool to see that level of illustration like animated and like the game itself yeah you know seeing these like over the top enemies and like it's it plays really smoothly the tutorial uh you begin playing as this character named gwendolyn who is a valkyrie of norse mythology hence odin sphere uh and she fights with like a lance she can also kind of glide sort of like peach from mario 2 like temporarily in the air and the tutorial is is like here are like 8 million moves you can do mm. like with this character. But because they're letting you play from go, it's honestly really fun and pretty intuitive. Like there's a lot of different kind of uh, akin to dead cells. There's a lot of different like 
movement capabilities, like the direction you're facing, whether you're holding or just tapping something. It really, really is fluid and really fun. I was kind of amazed like how quickly this game was just like a joy to play. Yeah. And it's really simple. I mean, especially, you know, the first hour, they're just sort of teaching you the basics. Eventually you get more advanced mechanics, like uh, moves you can unlock. I just did something where I can like shoot ice out of my staff. There's something going on too with sort of like breaking guard. So like some enemies will like have their guard up, but if you do a slide attack, you can break it. And I just fought my first big boss, which was this giant dragon that would spit up like armor of fallen soldiers that had eaten, <laughs> which was so clever. intimidating. But you can also like avoid the projectiles and then kick them back at the dragons. Like all this armor is hitting them. Really, really fun. And like the, the levels are pretty quick and there's a little bit of a exploration where you can see on the map like what next areas of the level you can get to. Mm. And the level up system is really interesting where you get experience by fighting enemies, but you get much more experience by planting these seeds that that turn into uh, mulberries and you water the plant that grows the mulberries with this strange gem I forgot the name of but there's essentially this like purple gem you collect throughout the level that you can then water the plant with and then the mulberries will sprout and you can eat those berries to gain a lot of experience so the idea is that you can plant those things like in safe areas and decide like how many you want to eat maybe you want to save some and what I really like about that system is that the purple gem that I forgot the name of is essentially the resource that all these various armies are fighting over it's essentially this, this life force that would be returned to the planet naturally hmm. that you can actually harvest to prolong the life of something else. Hmm. And I really like I like when a game actually gives the MacGuffin a gameplay purpose because then totally, you actually yes. feel the importance. Like I think of Bioshock with the various powers you're getting. Like those are the things that cause the fall of the society or even Final Fantasy's Final Fantasy V is one of the few Final Fantasies that gives crystals a gameplay purpose because whenever you go to save a crystal that is what gives you the ability to play as more of the jobs mm. so the story is pretty straightforward so far it's if 13 sandals was pulling from like every piece of sci-fi ever created this game is very much like let's do that with fairy tales and mythology cool um so the first character i think there are five playable characters and the first character is the daughter of odin and this valkyrie who is fighting an army of elves and uh you know other creatures in the norse realms and it's very much a are we the baddies kind of scenario in the beginning and it's interesting like the, the story is is not currently as out there or as ambitious as 13 sandals i mean few are yeah but there's enough going on with the character motivation where like you learn pretty early on that gwendolyn lost her sister and like now all this responsibility is being thrust on her and odin is like a very cold and aloof father and she has these like hallucinations of this blue bird speaking as like her inner thoughts saying like you only want to do this for x reason and mm -hmm. like so there's definitely like you can see the interest in like maximalist deconstruction brewing in this game <laughs> that would lead to 13 sentinels um, and i imagine you know there were some revelations at the end of this chapter that are painting a, a bigger picture and you know the fact that you're playing as these five characters and as you play through the levels you're unlocking like pages of a book that give you a little bit more insight into the world and what's happening yeah and they say early on too they're like you know don't don't forget the weight of your decision like whenever you choose to harvest 
this life energy that should be returned to the planet. Like you should recognize what you're doing. So that is quite literally planting a seed of intrigue there. Like I imagine that's going to be a much bigger deal as I continue playing it. So I'm I'm really impressed so far. I didn't really know what I was going to think of it. And, you know, it's still very early on that I'm not sure like how long I'm going to play or, or how much of the story I'm going to see. But I at least want to see a few more of the other characters and see like where the plot is headed. Because I think just my admiration of 13 Sentinels and seeing what came before that it's been interesting to see like what were they already exploring yeah. that led to that place. Yeah. I, I really want to check this game out. It's been on my backlog like forever. Uh, yeah. I bought it on Vita. <laughs> yeah. If that's any indication, um, because I remember pre 13 Sentinels, pre anything. I remember Dragon's Crown coming out, which was their other big kind of like side scroller hack and slash game. Yeah. And picking it up on a whim just because I had heard that Odin Sphere was great and everyone was really excited about their next like kind of side scroll fantasy uh, game. And I got it on release day without looking up reviews or anything, not realizing the mammoth amount of discourse that there was about the like over sexualization yeah. of all the art and started playing it and was like so not into it at all yeah. <laughs> um that i immediately backed out and uh and and from that the discourse kind of evolved into if you really want to like play vanilla wares stuff you should play odin sphere um, right and then ended up downloading that and never once launched it uh so i i think you're kind of pushing me to pick up my vita which as i frequently say is charging right behind me at all times uh so maybe, maybe i'll just do that this week and we can talk about odin sphere a little more next week i could see this being really fun on handheld too yeah it's it's really it's a blast so far and, and what you mentioned about dragon's crown was sort of my main hesitation to check out their other work yeah and also my main hesitation to recommending 13 sandals which is believe it or not a tone down version yeah. of what they were doing in dragon's crown so you know it's it's like the biggest caveat for an otherwise like extremely talented group of people here who are like yeah making such unique looking and playing games it's a shame that that's like a constant thing hanging over it all but odin sphere so far has just been a blast so i'm i'm excited to see where it goes yeah i'm gonna play it yeah it's I fun it, yeah i i don't know if there's multiplayer or not but i kept feeling like man this would be so fun with multiple people you oh, know yeah kind of like a gauntlet legends style thing i wonder if i wonder if dragon's crown has multiplayer i feel like maybe i think that it was does one of the things yeah i think that, that might have been like more purposely multiplayer focused yeah sick <laughs> that's all I, I mean honestly if you want to play it on vita and we can check in next week i i especially if the story picks up i'd love to sort of revisit this at some point yeah yeah i i feel like i haven't been playing a lot of handheld stuff ever since the 3ds episode got wrapped up um so it might be nice to pick up a handheld and play something other than yakuza zero <laughs> on my retroid pocket which i'm still doing constantly. that's a perfect game so i don't blame you yeah man that game is still very good i i uh quick yakuza zero update i just hit the 20 hour mark and realized i'm not even halfway into it uh <laughs> because it's one of the longer ones from what i know yes yeah. i didn't i didn't realize how much longer until i realized at the end of the chapter that i just finished up that uh the story has just started <laughs> <laughs> What I thought was the story was not the story. And now the story has kind of crystallized for me. And I just did some like really big bombastic boss battles that I thought were going to be like the end of the game. And it turns out it's like the end of act one, maybe, which uh, is honestly exciting because what I constantly see about Yakuza Zero is like, you know, it's one of those games that people constantly say, if I could wipe my brain and replay a game completely fresh, Yakuza Zero would be one of them because the story is so compelling. And uh, I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Yeah, I'm excited to get deeper into it. Yeah. 
Can I do two quick updates before we wrap up? Please do. Number one, L.A. Noir. I actually played a lot more of it this week. It's still very good. I, I'll bring it to the show again when I'm done with it, I think. Uh, but I, I am cool. going to finish it. Uh, that game has gotten much more interesting uh, after after we record that last segment. Um, the other one I want to mention is I discovered on itch that there's a game jam happening where indie developers are making Game Boy Advance games. Oh, uh, hell yeah. It's, it's like a it's like a winter GBA uh, indie game jam. Um, and I found one game in particular that I just want to shout out real quick called Sips, S-I-P-S, uh, like sipping from a coffee cup, um, because it's an idle game for the Game Boy Advance uh, where it's literally just like a one screen game where you just see a little coffee shop and people come up and they buy coffee and it increases the amount of money that you have and you use that money to invest in things that make each of your cups of coffee cost more. Uh, so it's like, you know, just making your shop look even nicer. So it's like, I'm going to get a cat that's going to hang out in the shop. I'm going to get a bonsai <laughs> plant. I'm going to get Wi-Fi, things like that. There's, I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot going on in it, but also it's a game jam game that was thrown together very quickly uh, and is absolutely beautiful, has great music. And my favorite thing about it is if you buy it on the itch page, which I'll link to in the show notes, if you buy it on the itch page, it has two versions of it. First of all, they, they run on the Game Boy Advance. Like you could get it loaded into a flash cart and like That's play so it on the cool. Game Boy Advance, which is sick, but it has two versions. One of them is the game and the other version is not the game. It is just the coffee shop fully upgraded with the music and, and the sound design uh, that you can just like leave on almost like a screensaver uh, that has like no UI or anything. So it's essentially just like a generative lo-fi hip hop beats society slash relax to video game for the Game Boy Advance. That's brilliant. And maybe like our collective unconscious. I know that's how I felt yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely genius um, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's like a it's a pay what you want situation. On Sips is what it's called. Yeah, Sips. Uh, that's cool. really fun. Like, I mean, honestly, like the actual game of it all is like kind of non-existent because the money just continues to go up. There's like actually no challenge there. It's just like waiting long enough for it to happen uh, so you can buy new stuff. But I think I think it's worth the price of admission just to get that that UI less gameless version of it that just runs on your Game Boy Advance. Uh, I had it running on my my little Ambernick uh, Game Boy Advance handheld, uh, which was really fun and very cool. Would recommend. That's amazing. And that's it. <laughs> while I take it, while I take a sip from my water. Take a sip. Well, that's it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. You know the drill. Into the cast that online is your hub for everything. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Uh, we we really, really appreciate all the positive feedback we've gotten recently, specifically for the Ocarina bonus and the 3DS bonus. That was yeah. like pretty huge ordeal uh, or not ordeal, but like <laughs> it was a lot was of a, recording. They were both dark omens hanging <laughs> heavy above our heads. Like Damocles sword. It was a lot of recording in a short amount of time. And I'm very happy that it was all worth it because you seem to all really enjoy it. So, you know, if you, if you enjoy that, just share with a friend you think would like it. Um, you can also rate and review us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Thank you to those who have been able to do that recently. And if you really like the show, we have our Patreon, which we mentioned at the top of the episode, we have some pretty exciting plans for it. I, I think we're trying to update that space more consistently than we have in the past so we'll keep you posted every step of the way but as we said earlier the dollar tier gets you everything up until the 3ds special the five dollar tier will get you all future episodes plus the air table and the ten dollar tier currently gets you all that plus a shout out in the show notes and more perks on the horizon there as we continue to grow we can do more for you there so thank you to those who are able to back it just out of curiosity dear listener if you have anything that you're interested in us doing on the Patreon, I guess, let us know. Uh, we have, yeah. we have ideas and things that we want to do. Um, but if you have anything that you're like, why aren't you doing this? 
maybe don't frame it that way, but, <laughs> but if, if there's anything that you're like, yeah, I think it'd be cool if you did this, or this is what I, what I want. I mean, that's obviously why the Patreon exists. So let us know. Yeah. It's an experimental space. And I think we're always willing to do different things and see what is, you know, of value there. So please let us know, share all feedback. Yeah. In terms of what's on the horizon for the regular show, we have our Mario all-stars bonus coming out this month. Um, we're recording that in a few weeks, I believe. So that will be like right at the end of March or beginning of April. But, you know, we'll let you know. Uh, that's going to be Mario All-Stars plus Super Mario World. So a lot of the 2D Mario games. They're very excited for that. And then next month, the bonus is going to be the Metroid Prime remaster, uh, which is very exciting. So this month you're getting yeah. Mario All-Stars. Next month you're getting Metroid Prime remastered which yeah. I, we kind of revealed by accident a week ago. So I wanted to re-announce <laughs> that in case you missed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the year of Nintendo continues. Yeah. And I think that's everything. Uh, I know we're excited for Resident Evil 4. Is there anything else on your backlog or on the horizon you're excited about? I, I have nothing that stands out immediately. I did just get um, uh, SteamWorld Quest was on sale pretty deeply on the app oh, store. Nice. It was like a dollar. So I, I picked that up finally after years and years and years after <laughs> you brought it to the show. And I said, I'm going to check that out. Hand of Gilgamesh. Yeah. But honestly, I, I downloaded a bunch of stuff on the 3DS that I want to play. So uh, maybe, maybe that. But honestly, I, I never know. I never know what, what's on the horizon. Uh, a lot of the games I played this week, I didn't even talk about this week. So you never know when it's going to be Resident Evil 6 and Hacky Sack next week. <laughs> Let's let's end. That's perfect. That's a, that's a perfect way to end. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye bye. TWG, the worst garbage. The online.